Would you join me in Joshua chapter number three as you remain standing in honor of God's word? And uh, we thank God that you are here, but spring is teasing us, isn't it? It comes in and then it goes and we get another snowstorm. We're glad you all made it out to the house of God today. Joshua chapter number three, I'm going to begin reading in verse number one. The Bible says, then Joshua rose early in the morning and set out for Acacia Grove and came to the Jordan, he and all the children of Israel, and they lodged there before they crossed over. And so it was after three days that the officers went through the camp and they commanded the people saying, when you see the ark of the Lord your God and the priests, the Levites, bearing it, then you shall set out from your place and go after it. That was the presence of God going before them. Then it says, yet there, yet there shall be a space between you and it, about 2,000 cubits by measure, measure. Do not come near it, that you may know the way by which you must go, for you have not yet passed this way before. So God's going before them to clear the way. And Joshua said to the people, sanctify yourselves. This is our text. For tomorrow the Lord will do wonders among you. Then Joshua spoke to the priest saying, take up the ark of the covenant and cross over before the people. So they took up the ark of the covenant and went before the people. And the Lord said to Joshua, this day I will begin to exalt you in the sight of all Israel, that they may know that as I was with Moses, so will I be with you. You shall command the priest to bear the ark of the covenant said, saying, when you have come to the edge of the water of the Jordan, you shall stand in the Jordan. So Joshua Joshua said to the children of Israel, come here and hear the words of the Lord your God. And Joshua said, by this you shall know that the living God is among you and that he will without fail drive out from before you the Canaanites, the Hittites, the Hevites, the Parasites, the Girgashites, the Amorites, and the Jebusites. Behold, the ark of the covenant of the Lord of all the earth is crossing over before you into the Jordan. Now therefore, take for yourselves twelve men from the tribes of Israel, one man from every tribe. And it shall come to pass as the soon as the soles of the feet of the priest who bear the ark of the Lord the Lord of all the earth shall rest in the waters of the Jordan, that the waters of the Jordan shall be cut off, the waters that come down from upstream, and they shall stand as a heap. And so it was when the people set out from their camp to cross over the Jordan with the priests before the Ark of the Covenant before the people. And as those who bore the Ark came to the Jordan and the feet of the priest who bore the Ark dipped in the edge of the water for the Jordan overflows all its banks during the whole time of harvest that the waters which came down from upstream stood still and rose up in a heap very far away at Adam the city that is beside Zaratan. So the waters that went down into the sea of Araba, the sea, the salt sea failed and were cut off and the people crossed over opposite Jericho. And the priest who bore the ark of the covenant of the Lord stood firm on dry ground in the midst of the Jordan. That's God being in the middle. God not only goes before, but God stands in the middle of it with you. Now watch this. And all Israel crossed over on dry ground until all the people had crossed completely over the Jordan. Today we are continuing in our series, Mental Health Goals, and I want to talk to you from the subject, Ways to Have Winning Days. Ways 
to have winning days. Let's pray. Father, in the name of Jesus, thank you for your word and your anointing, which makes the word of God so effective and personal to every single person. Lord, we give you place to move in our hearts like you want. In Jesus' name, and everybody said, you may be seated. Well, if you have been following along in our series, Mental Health Goals, we have come to the place where we are learning how to renew our mind As Romans chapter 12, verse number 2 tells us when it says, And be not conformed to this world, but be transformed by the renewing of your mind that you may prove what is that good, acceptable, and perfect will of God. And according to the text, the reason why we renew our mind is because then and only then can we receive or experience or prove the will of God or live the life that God has designed for us to live. There is no other way to walk in the will of God and have the life that God has designed for you than to renew your mind. It's why a lot of Christians are saved but not walking in the life that God has designed for them because they get saved and then they don't renew their mind. Renewing your mind is not God's responsibility. It is our responsibility. And when we renew our mind, we experience or we walk in the life that God has designed for us. And so we've been talking about that and we've learned that there are three weapons that God has given us. We call them mighty weapons that help us to renew our mind. And the three weapons are meditation, what we think on, right? What we keep before our eyes, confession, what comes out of our mouth. And then the big one, action. And that's the one that we have been talking about. The mighty do it weapon of action. Nothing changes until you actually take action in your life. And so we've been learning that the mighty do it weapon of action is where the money is at because we use this little phrase, what we do is responsible for the glue. What we do is responsible for the glue. The glue being a protein that is released in our brain that connects the emotions and the feelings that accompany our action with our thoughts and thereby our brain gets trained. And if you don't understand any of that, go back to the last few weeks' messages and listen to them again and you'll get it. But basically when when our actions correspond with our beliefs, our brain releases a glue that, that ties those new thoughts into our head and we know that our life follows our thoughts. The reason why we're renewing our mind is because where the mind goes, the life follows. And so this is called when your actions correspond with your faith. Remember, it's called brain integrity, right? Your brain has to have what's happening on the outside of you corresponding with what you're thinking on the inside of you. And if those two things line up, then your brain hardwires according to the actions. But when those things contradict one another, you disrupt your belief system. And so that's where, scripturally speaking, remember we looked at James chapter 2. But do you want to know, foolish man, that faith or beliefs without works or corresponding actions is dead or destroys the intended outcome of your faith. So many people are believing God for certain things, but when your actions don't line up with what you're believing God for, you destroy the intended outcome of your faith. And so God wants these things to be in harmony or correspondence of one another. So we must do what we believe in order to have the life that God has designed for us. And that was the message, just do it. 
Just obey the word in your marriage. Do what God says concerning that. Obey the, the, the word of God in the way that you live your life, in your business affairs, on your job, in the way that you raise your kids, in the way that you handle your finances. Just do it. And that led us to the question, yeah, but pastor, how do I do it? I know I'm supposed to do what the word of God says, but how do I do it? I often feel like the apostle Paul. I wind up doing the things that I don't want to do. I really want to, but then I do something else. How do I do it? And that's where the story of Joshua and the crossing of the Jordan River with the children of Israel came in. And you remember our main scripture, the scripture that we focused in on last time was Joshua chapter 3, verse number 5. Here's what Joshua said. He said, sanctify yourselves, and the implication is do it now, today, sanctify yourselves today, for tomorrow the Lord will do wonders among you. And from this verse, we saw that the key to life and brain transformation, what we want tomorrow, is what we do today. In order to transform our lives and establish habits that become instinctual or automated in our life, we've got to win the day. Not win the month, but win the day. Not win the year, but win the day. Not win the life, but win the day. Not lose 50 pounds, but lose just one today. Not write a novel, but just write a page today. And we saw the compounding effect of continual or long obedience in the same direction. As we obey, 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 as we win the day and win the day and win the day, those days compound and they affect our mind in a profound way. We talked about, you know, dopamine, ready? When you get those wins each and every day, your brain gets a little hit of dopamine. And every time your brain gets a little hit of dopamine, it rewires itself. And so when we win the day, it compounds and it renews our mind. We begin to have actions or habits that become instinctual or habitual or routine in our life that produce the life that God has designed for us to have. And so today, I want to talk to you about how to actually win the day. How do you, ways, I'm calling it ways to have winning days. How do I develop habits? How do I develop habits that are going to produce the proper mindsets in my life? How am I going to fight against all of the mindsets that are destroying my life? How to have winning days, ways to have winning days. And the first thing I want to teach you is really, really simple, and we're going to see it in our story. Start the day by getting a win out of the way. Start the day by getting a win out of the way. Now watch how some, how many believe every word in scripture is there for a purpose, right? Every single word is anointed. It's there for a purpose. Look how our story begins. Joshua chapter three, verse number one. Then Joshua did what? He rose up early in the morning and he set out, right? He rose up early in the morning and he set out. What's he doing? He is attacking the day. He is setting the tone for everything else by getting to it first thing in the morning. Notice what Joshua's not doing. He's not sleeping in. That's okay occasionally, by the way. Everybody deserves at least one day of rest. I don't know where we got this idea that we deserve two days of rest. God only rested one day. Too many people resting too much in life, right? Staying in your PJs all day, you know, hanging around and lounging around the house all day. Too much of that sitting on the couch, you know, not getting up and getting after it. But notice what Joshua does. Joshua attacks the day with the intent of getting a win out of the way. God 
God has just revealed to him in the prior chapter, and we're going to see it in just a minute, how to defeat the inhabitants of the promised land. All the ites, right? All the ites were all of the enemies of Israel. He's just revealed that to them and how to take the land. He's been meditating on that all night because he just got the information on how to do it. He goes to sleep meditating on that. He wakes up. He's like, I got to get after this thing. Over and over again, we see in Scripture that people who experience the will of God for their lives, listen to me carefully because this sounds so simple, but so many people miss it. They get up early and they get after it. Abraham, in Genesis, how many believe Abraham ultimately received the will of God for his life, right? Watch this. In Genesis 22, we're told that Abraham, very, very succinctly, rose up early, he saddled his ass, and he went to offer up his son Isaac. Now, if Abraham could get up early to do something hard like that, how many of you know that you can get up and get after it? You can start the day by getting a win out of the way. Jesus also, not just Abraham, but throughout the Gospels, we see Jesus many times over and over again getting up a great while before dawn, right? Get, what, what is he trying to do? He's getting up. And he's, he's getting after it. He's starting the day by getting a win out of the way. David, the Old Testament shepherd king, who is a type of New Testament shepherd king savior, right, says in Psalm 63, he says, early will I seek you. Now, why are all of these things about Jesus getting up early in the morning, about about Abraham getting up early in the morning, about early will I seek, why are they in the Bible if they don't mean anything? You know the old saying, early to bed, early to rise, makes a man healthy, wealthy, and wise? It's facts. It is true. Listen to the wisdom of two people, two real-life examples, who personify this truth of getting up and getting after it, getting a win out of the way at the beginning of the day. Some of you may have heard of this person. Anybody ever hear of Admiral William McRaven? Anybody ever hear of him? I know Charlie is because he gave me a book by him many years ago, right? He trains Navy SEALs. He became famous for his commencement address to his alma mater, the University of Texas at Austin, in 2014, when he began by famously saying this, if you want to change the world, start off by making your bed. He's, he's telling this to, to, to Navy SEALs. If you want to change the world, start off by making your bed. Listen to what he said. He said, every morning in SEAL training, my instructors, who at the time Vietnam veterans, would show up in my barrack, and the first thing that they would do is inspect my bed. If I did it right, the corners would be square, the covers would be pulled tight, the pillow centered just under the headboard, and an extra blanket folded neatly at the foot of the rack. It was a simple task, mundane at best, but every morning we were required to make our bed to perfection. It seemed a little ridiculous at the time, particularly in light of the fact that we were aspiring to be real warriors, tough, battle-hardened seals. But the wisdom of this simple act has proven to me many times over. If you made your bed early in the morning, you will have accomplished the first task of the day. If you will give us, it will give you a small sense of pride and it will encourage you to do another task and another and another and another. And by the end of the day, that one task completed will have turned into many tasks completed. Making your bed will also reinforce the fact that little things in life do matter. 
If you can't do the little things right, you'll never be able to do the big things right. And if by chance you have a miserable day, you will come home to a bed that is made. And that bed that is made will give you encouragement that tomorrow will be a better day. So if you want to change the world, he said, start off by changing, by making your bed. Now, some people subscribe to the theory. Well, what do I need to make it for? I'm just going to mess it up later on today. And so their bed just remains uncovered and uncovered and never changed their sheets or anything like that. Listen to me. I'm a firm believer in this. Call me OCD, but I believe how you do one thing determines how you do everything. And so even like I never even leave my bathroom a mess in the morning. I could be running late. But I can't leave it like that because I set the tone in my mind. I'm, I'm not just doing it because I'm OCD. I believe in the concept. How I do anything is determines how I do everything. So I put everything away. It takes two minutes. But guess what? My stuff is never all messed up. Because some people, ah, I'll do it later. Ah, I'll do it later. Ah, I'll do it later. Then you have this huge task in front of you. You gotta fix it all up again. Keep it going as you do it. It's, it's the little things that matter. Start the day by getting a win out of the way. Remember John Wooden? I talked to you about him, right? Well, he was one of the greatest basketball coaches of all time. Led UCLA to seven straight NCAA championships. Here's what he would do. Bill Walton, one of the greatest NBA players of all time, he recalls playing for John Wooden. And here's what he says. He says, the first thing that he did was he called all the new recruits into the locker room, and he said, men, this is how you put your shoes and your socks on. And then he demonstrated how to put on the socks, no folds, no wrinkles, no creases of any kind. I mean, is it just like these people who have tremendous success? They're just, you know, deranged. They're OCD. You know, they, I don't know why that really matters. Or are they on to a truth in life? And the truth are the little things that matter. Start off the day by getting a win out of the way. Wooden believed it and practiced it. McRaven believed it and practiced it. Abraham believed it and practiced it. David believed it and practiced it. Jesus believed it and practiced it. Get a win out of the way. Attack the day. Little wins turn into big wins. What you do at the beginning of the day sets the tone for the rest of the day. If you can't make your bed and put on your socks, how can you change the world? Aristotle said it this way. Well begun. Is half done. You know, we hear all the time, it's not how you start, it's how you finish. And here's what I believe. I believe start well and finish well. What, why is it gotta be start bad and then come back and finish well? I mean, I, that's great. That's wonderful. That, that, that's fantastic. But why not start well and finish well? When I used to coach, I used to love to put my, put my foot on the neck of the other team right out of the gate. Because, because we set the tone right away. We set the tone. We, we, we aren't, we, we, we're saying, you know what? We're coming out hard. We're, we, if we could put you away in the first quarter, we're going to put you away in the first quarter. But then we're not going to just lollygale, gag the whole way, rest of the way through. Then we're going to finish strong after that kind of thing. These are methods that we have to employ in our life if we are going to develop the right kind of habits in our life because our mind or the renewal of our mind is dependent upon the actions that we take with our life. Speaking of what you do at the beginning of the day, setting the tone for the rest of the day, number two, leverage your time with the Lord. 
Leverage your time with the Lord. Ibn Pagan, you may have heard of him. He was, he is a multi-million dollar business owner. Happens to be Brooklyn born, by the way, about my age. And he said this. He said, your first ritual that you do during the day is the highest leveraged ritual by far because it has the effect of setting your mind and setting the context for the rest of your days. So what does Joshua do? Joshua gets up early in the morning and he, he sets off. Now the scripture doesn't say this, so I'm supposing, but I'll bet you dollars to donuts. We can ask God, we can ask Jesus when we get to heaven. On the day that pastor was talking about the crossing of the Jordan River and it says that Joshua got up early in the morning and set out after it, did he stop and bow his knee to pray at the beginning of the day? And I bet you that the answer is yes. The first ritual in the morning is the most highly leveraged ritual by far. And if that is true, then it would behoove us to begin our day by bowing to pray, by spending our first moments with God. This is not just a leadership law. This is a spiritual law. It's called the law of first things. And the law of first things says this, what you do with the first determines what happens to the rest. See, I believe that in every area of my life. What you do with the first determines what happens with the rest. Here's how you've heard it before. Malachi chapter 3. Listen to what it says. Bring all the tithes. What is the tithe? The tithe is is not just 10%. It's the first tenth. It's not just 10%. It's the first tenth. What does it matter whether I give God the last tenth or the first tenth? The law of first things. What you do with the first determines what happens to the rest. Watch this. Bring all the tithes into the storehouse that there may be food in my house. And try me now in this, says the Lord of hosts, if I'll not open the windows of heaven for you and pour you out such a blessing that there will not be room enough to receive it and I will rebuke the devourer for your sakes. What is he saying? What you do at the first sets the tone for what happens to the rest. I don't know about you, but I want the rest, in this case, of my finances protected. I don't want the devourer coming along, and I don't want to have too much month at the end of the money. I don't want to have too many problems that keep I keep paying for things that are unusual things, things popping up here and things popping up there. I want everything in my life to be protected. Well, I want that too, Pastor. Are you acting in accordance with the Word of God? Are you are you leveraging your relationship with the Lord because what you do at the first determines what happens to the next? The widow woman, she's down to her last bit of oil, her last bit of grain. She's ready to make a final pancake meal for her and her starving child. The prophet shows up, 1 Kings chapter number 17, verse 13. And Elijah said to her, do not fear. Go down as you have said, but make me a small cake from it. What's the next word? First. And bring it to me. And afterward, make some for yourself and your son. Here's the promise. For thus says the Lord God of Israel, the bin of flour shall not be used up, nor shall the jar of oil run dry until the day the Lord sends rain on the earth. Why? why I, could you imagine this? I mean, you know, could you see the headline in the paper? Preacher shows up, takes widow woman's last bit of flour and oil. See, that's the way the world thinks, right? And the reason why the world thinks like that is because they don't understand the law of first things. 
The law of first things is not to take something from you, but the law of first things is to set the tone for everything that follows behind that thing. And so notice, first, leverage your relationship with the Lord. Second, watch how everything else behind it is blessed. Over and over again in Scripture, we are told that Jesus is the firstborn of all creation. That he's the firstborn from among the dead. That he is the firstborn son. Here's the question. If Jesus is the first, who's the second? Who's the third? Who's the millionth? Who's the billionth? Well, that's you and I, right? And so God wanted to redeem all of us. And so what he did was he redeemed the first because what you do at the first determines what happens to the rest. What you want later depends upon what you do now. The first portion carries a blessing that flows on everything after it. And so don't hate people because they're blessed if they are leveraging their relationship with the Lord because they are in a flow. The morning is a time to get in the flow, to get the flow of what's happened to the first to come down on you, right? If Jesus is the first and from Jesus all good things flow, then what I want to do is I want to sit at the feet of where the flow comes from at the beginning part of the day so the flow could come on me for the rest of the day, right? Because from that first, wisdom flows for the rest of my day. From that first, protection flows for the rest of my day. From that first, guidance flows for the rest of my day. From that first, opportunity flows for the rest of my day. From that first, provision flows for the rest of that day. Healing flows from the rest of the day. Peace flows from the rest of the day. Grace flows for the rest of the day. Joy flows for the rest of the day. Favor flows for the rest of the day. Don't go until you get your flow. You remember the American Express card? They said, don't leave home without it. I changed it to this. Don't go till you get your flow. Don't don't leave your house until you leveraged your relationship with the Lord and you sat at the feet of the one from whom all good thing flows in your life. On the day, Joshua positioned the children of Israel to walk into something that they had desired for their entire life for 40 years. He said, you know what? I got to get up early and I got to get after this. I've got to leverage the beginning part of the day because what I do with the first part of the day determines what happens with the rest of the day. Now watch this. I'm going to give you one more of these because if I did any more than this one, it would be too long. Number three, in order to win the day, have winning ways in your days, you need to begin the night before. You need to begin the night before. The morning ritual actually begins not the day you wake up, but the night before. Listen to the ancient rhythm of the very first days. Are you ready for this? Genesis chapter 1, verse number 5, verse number 8, verse number 13, verse number 19, verse number 23, verse number 31. 5, 8, 13, 19, 23, and 31. In the very first chapter of the Bible, the book of beginnings, by the way, the first chapter of Genesis sets the tone for spiritual principles that last forever. And watch this, what it says. So the evening and the morning were of the first day. 
So the evening and the morning were of the first day. Now, if that was you and me, we would have said, so the morning and the evening were of the first day. Because we start every day when? With our mornings. But that's not how God starts a day. Matter of fact, there is a genius to the Jewish clock. The Jewish clock starts when? Sundown the day before. There is evening and morning of the first day. By the way, you ever try to reconcile how Jesus was in the ground for three days and three nights when supposedly he died on Friday and rose on Sunday? I don't know about you, but if my math is correct, that's not three days and three nights. Ah, I knew the Bible was off. No, you just didn't know how the Jewish clock works. Because the Jewish clock doesn't start at the beginning of a day. The Jewish clock starts the evening of the prior day. Come on, somebody say amen. You, in, in order for you to win your day, you got to start the night before. And guess what? Your mama taught you this. Anybody paying attention when their mama was raising you? If, you, if your mama was like my mama, she taught you this. Because here's what my mama would do the night before. She'd lay out my school clothes. My mama wouldn't wait until the morning to go thumbing through the drawers and, you know, pressing everything at that time. Here's what my mama would do. She'd lay out my school clothes. They'd be hanging there in my room waiting for me to get up. You know what else my mama did? My mama prepared my lunch the night before. My lunch was waiting there. My mama, my mama was so crazy that my mama actually prepared breakfast the night before. She set out the bowls and she had out whatever she wanted to have out. If she was cooking eggs, they were there next to the pan that was already out. My mama set everything up. What was she doing? She was teaching me how to win the day. Because you know why so many people can't get out of the, can't get out of the house on time? Because they don't start the night before. Right? They're trying to figure it out the night bef- the, the day of instead of the night before. But there is a genius to the Jewish clock. There was evening and there was morning the first day. And the absolute best way that you can win the day by starting the night before is get you some rest. You know why we can't win a day? Because we wake up weary. We wake up unrested. And one of the things that the enemy tries to do is the enemy tries to steal our days by stealing our rest. If you're not, how, how are you going to get up and get after it if you're tired when you get up? And a lot of people are tired when, I mean, imagine that. If you sleep the right amount of time, you know, seven, eight hours. I love people who say it's impossible to sleep for seven, eight hours. Who told you this? I love people who say, well, all the really highly functional people, they only get three hours of sleep. Eh. Imagine much how much more functional they could be if they got the right amount of rest, right? Sleep gets you rest. What happens is the enemy tries to destroy our rest, 70 million people. In, in the world suffer from insomnia. It's credited with 38,000 deaths. It costs the U.S. 70 billion worth of productivity because people are tired when they're not supposed to be tired. 64% of teenagers suffer from it. And the most severe cases is between people ages 30 and 40. And 50% of senior citizens over the age of 65 battle with it. So many don't start off attacking the day and leveraging their time with the Lord because they haven't rested well all night the night before. And they're not resting, listen to me, because they're not trusting in the Savior. Listen to me. Rest is a function of a lot of things, by the way. Do you know your rest is related even to what you eat? When you eat late at night, 
by the way, you get all sugared up late at night, you can't sleep. Right? So it's related to a lot of things. But one of the big things that it's related to, it's related to not trusting in the Lord. Because what, what do people do all night long? They stay up and their mind is going crazy. They're thinking about all sorts of crazy things. But listen to what Jesus said. He said, come to me, all you who are labor and are heavy laden, and I'll do what? I'll give you rest. Psalm 23. You remember 23? We, we did it a couple months ago. I only got three verses in. By the way, I'm coming back to it this year to do the rest of it. Psalm 23. The Lord is my shepherd. I shall not want. He makes me lie down in green pastures. Yet so many don't rest. Instead, they lie awake at night filled with worry, anxiety, and concern. What if? How will? What if that happens? How will I deal with that? What if this goes against me? How will I make it through that day? And the what ifs and the how wills that are going off in your mind is a sign of lack of trust in the Savior. We lie awake tortured by the trials of life and tormented by the enemy of our soul in our mind, stealing our rest and putting us at a disadvantage for the next day when we wake up. The solution? Trust in the shepherd Savior. Remember what I taught you? When we talked about Psalm 23, I said, what happens to sheep? They don't naturally sleep, do they? Sheep won't go to bed, and that's why the scripture says, he makes me. And the only way that a sheep will sleep is if the shepherd makes them, not literally kicks their feet out from underneath them. That's not what it means, makes. It means put them in a, in a state where they feel secure. That's literally what it means to to make somebody. And how do sheep feel secure? If they feel free from predators, you remember? Free from interherd conflict, free from parasites, and then well-fed and well-watered, right? If the sheep has those four things or five, if you do, if you break up water and food into two separate things, if the sheep has all of those things because they trust in the security of their Savior, a sheep who doesn't normally sleep, will rest. So here's my question for you. Are you trusting in the Savior when you go to sleep? Do you believe God's got that under control? Do you believe God can work it out? Do you believe what if, then God will? Let me say that again. Do you believe what if, then God will? Anytime the enemy throws a what if at you, tell him, well, then God well, 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 what if the diagnosis is bad? Well, then God will heal my body. Well, what if I can't pay the mortgage? Well, then God will provide for me in a supernatural way. Well, what if my, my wife or my spouse doesn't forgive me? Well, God will, then God will soften their heart. Well, well, what if I get fired from the job? Well, then God will provide a new job that's even better than before. What if then God will? What if then God will? What if then God will? He makes me. Lie down in green pastures. We must trust in our shepherd king. We must trust that he cares. Trust that he sees. Trust that he holds tomorrow. Trust that he's looking out for us. Trust that he has a plan. Trust that he's working all things together for our good. Trust that he will fulfill his promises. Trust that he sees the beginning from the end. Trust that he's watching over his word, waiting to perform it. Trust that he makes a way where there seems to be no way. Trust in his mighty power. Trust in his outstretched arm. Trust that if he gave us his own only begotten son, how shall he not freely with him give us all things?
things. We must trust that he's ordering our steps. Trust that he is directing our paths. We must trust that he is near. To rest, we've got to trust. If you want to win the day, you got to begin the night before. So instead of counting problems, start counting promises. Don't you dare let the enemy force you to go to bed with a problem on your mind. Go to bed with a promise on your mind. You know Joshua did. The reason why Joshua was able to wake up early. Look at this one little verse that we just read right away. Joshua rose up early. Well, okay, that's Joshua. Well, why? Because the day before, the night before, he got some great intel. The day before, he walked, got up early, and positioned the children of Israel to cross the Jordan River. Do you know what the intel that he got? He got intel that reminded him of God's promise. The night before Joshua attacked the day, Joshua received inside information from a prostitute named Rahab that lived in the city walls of Jericho, the first city of the promised land, was Jericho, by the way. And we're going to see this in, in, in future weeks. By the way, you know what they were not able to do? They weren't able to touch anything in that first city. They were going into the promised land. Jericho had a lot of stuff. And God said, don't you dare touch any of it. It's not yours, it's mine. Why? Because it's first. Because it's first. What was God saying? Because what you do with the first determines how the rest of this thing is going to go. And he got a reminder from a prostitute who lived in the city walls of Jericho on how to conquer the giants that were in the land that God was going to give them and lead the children of Israel across the Jordan River into the promised land that they had longed for for 40 years. And do you remember the last time Joshua got intel on the promised land? Do you remember what happened? He was actually one of the 12 spies. And, and there were 12 altogether. Joshua and Caleb were the two that stood by themselves. The 10 other spies, we never remember their name because nobody remembers the name of people that just go with the flow. I'm talking about the worldly flow. Everybody remembers the name of people that go with the spiritual flow, right? The spies came back. You remember what they said? Here's what they told them about that promised land, the first spies. Then they said, there we saw giants, the descendants of Anak. They came from the giants. And we were like grasshoppers in our sight, and so we were in their sight. Here's how the enemy steals your rest. He magnifies your problems or your giants, and he minimizes who you are in Christ. He basically tells you the problems are bigger and stronger than you, and you know what? And, and, and you're going to get swallowed up and overcome because you're insignificant. And here's what God wants to tell us. God wants us to know that the truth of the matter is that in him, we're more than conquerors. In him, we're stronger than we think. In him, greater is he that is in us than he that is in the world. God wants to remind us at the end of our day, not about how powerful the problems are, but about how powerful he is and how powerful we are in him. That's why we don't go to bed with problems on our mind. We leverage our relationship with the Lord, not just when we get up, but when we go to sleep. God is the bookends of our day. God, we leverage our time with you in the morning so the flow that's on you can come on me and we leverage our time with you in the evening so we can rest and wake up and attack today. But the enemy 
try to give him the wrong information. So the night before, Joshua gets up early. He gets inside intel from a prostitute. Of all the people that God would give him inside information to. Can I tell you what happens when you trust in the Lord? God will work it out in ways that will blow your mind. God will send a well to stop you from drowning. He will send a raven to bring you meat and bread in the evening and in the morning. He will send a widow woman to sustain you. He will multiply your oil and your grain. He will put a coin in a fish's mouth and he will use a prostitute to put your giants in perspective. I don't know why we trust in other things or in other places. Let's trust in God. I wish somebody would say amen in this mass service today. Seemed like a Catholic church to me today up in here. Dear God. So Rahab, here's what he told them. Joshua chapter 2, verse number 9. This is the night before. The night before Joshua rose up early. Look at what he got. Look at the intel. She said, I know that the Lord has given you the land. That the terror of you has fallen on us. I want to tell somebody, the enemy is more afraid of you than you are of him. The terror of you has fallen on us. All the inhabitants of the land are faint-hearted because of you. All them big giants, that, that, that they're big and bad. They are faint-hearted because of you. Be, uh, for we have heard how the Lord dried up the water of the Red Sea for you and when you came out of Egypt and what you did to the two kings of the Amorites who were on the other side of the Jordan, Sihon and Og, whom you utterly destroyed. And as soon as we heard these things, our hearts melted. Neither did there remain any more courage in anyone because of you. Now look what he said. For the Lord your God. This is what the Rahab the prostitute said. For the Lord your God. He's God in heaven above and in earth below. Yes, he is. I said, yes, he is. I said, yes, he is. You missed your cue, bro. What's up? <laughs> Come on. Pastor Ronald been hanging around white people too long. He don't even know how to back the preacher up anymore. Yes, he is. He's God in heaven above and in earth below. You remember what the old song said? He's God up on the platform. He's God back on the door. He's God in the amen corner. He's God all over the floor. He's God when the lightning flashes. He's God when the thunder rolls. He's God way up in heaven. He's God way down in my soul. He's God in the Father. He's God in the Son. He's God in the Holy Ghost, God the three in one. He's the God of the Hebrew children. He's the God of Abraham. He's the God in the fiery furnace. He's God the great I am. He's the God that cleansed the leper. He's the God that raised the dead. And if you take him at his word, he'll do just what he said. He's the God that gave us Jesus. He's the God that brought us out. He's the God that rules in heaven. He's the God that makes me shout. He's the God that healed my body. He's the God that saved my soul. He's God that filled me with the Holy Ghost. The God that will make you whole. I know that God is God. He don't never change. I know that God is God. He is always the same. What she say? She said, you're God. He's God way up in heaven. He's God on 
the earth below. What happened to Joshua? He went to bed with a promise. He went to bed with a reminder that despite the obstacles that were in front of him, that there was a God that stood behind him, beside him, and went before him, and went all around him. By the way, we're going to see it next week, but did you know where the ark went? The ark went first. It went down to the Jordan River first. Then, before the children of Israel were ready to pass through, the ark stood in the mist. And then after everybody passed, the ark came behind. He's the God who goes before. He's the God who walks with. And he's the God that comes from behind. That's who God is. Leverage your relationship with the Lord. Don't begin in the morning. Begin the night before. What are you thinking about when you go to bed? What's on your mind? Change that. And then get up right early. And get a win out of the way. Right at the start of the day. And watch how your habits begin to change. And when your habits changed, your mind gets renewed. And when your mind gets renewed, your life begins to follow. Would you stand to your feet? One of the things I'm going to talk about is never get dissuaded by false negatives. It's one of the Ten Commandments of ways that you can win the day. You know what a false negative was today? I preached a whole lot better than y'all responded today. But I'm not dissuaded by false negatives. God wants to change your life. But you have to meet him in the middle of the Jordan River. How do you do that? Step out. Act. Let's pray. Father, in the name of Jesus. We thank you so much for your word today. We thank you that your word is true. We thank you that your word is life. And Father, we thank you that you are, you and the word are one. That you give us life, eternal life, through Jesus Christ, our Lord and our Savior. I know there are a lot of people that are watching at home today because, you know, they lost an hour of sleep. And you know how the saints are. You know about the saints, right? You know how you spell saint, L-A-Z-Y. I got to get my, I can't get up early now to go to church. All right, I'll see you at 11 o'clock, I'm sure, right? I know there's a lot of people watching at home. And I want to ask you a question. Do you have life? Do you have eternal life? Do you know Jesus Christ as your personal Savior? I want to ask you that are here in this room with me this morning. Have you given your life to Jesus? Do you know if you were to die today, this morning, this second, that you would spend eternity in heaven? And if you don't today, is the day that God wants you to cross over from death into life from your sins into his fullness. With no one looking around, if you're here in this room and that's you and you want to give your life to Jesus, put your hand up. I'm going to pray with you. If you're home and you don't know Jesus, I want to pray with you. There's a little button. You can actually raise your hand by clicking the button or you can just hold your hand out 
or up to the Lord right now. For the benefit of those that are making Jesus the Lord of their life right now, will we all join in prayer together? Would you say this after me, especially those of you that are at home? And if you're here today, this is your moment to pray if you need to give your life to Jesus. Say this out loud with me, Heavenly Father. I turn my life over to you. I take it out of my hands, and I put it in your hands. And I ask you to forgive me. I repent of my sins. And I ask you to forgive me, not based on my faith in myself, but based on my faith in Jesus Christ. I receive him as my Savior, and I will never be the same in Jesus' name. Amen and amen. If you prayed that prayer for the first time and you're watching online, we want to reach out to you and help you in your journey with the Lord. Click the little hand button that's over there that says, I gave my life to Jesus, and we'll reach out. If you're here and you gave your life to Jesus, feel well, feel free to come up to me and, and tell me after church. I'd love to, to speak to you for a few moments. God bless all of you. Have a wonderful rest of the day. We'll see you next week.